Welcome to LifePoint Church. Our mission is to glorify God and make gospel-driven disciples by engaging people in the unexpected joy of a life more and more dependent on Jesus. Acts 16 verses 1 through 15 and Philippians 1 verses 1 through 2. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had gone up to Mycenae, they had attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So, passing by Mycenae, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So, setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the woman who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Theatera, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul, and after she was baptized, and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. Philippians 1, 1 through 2. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We're beginning a new series this morning in the study of the book of Philippians. And we'll be at this through the summer for the next 14 weeks as we dig into one of the richest and most joyful books in the whole Bible. In order to keep us focused and to help us with this study, we've produced this study guide that you have received, and I hope every individual, each of you, will get a copy of this. This last semester, I taught a course on how to interpret the Bible. And one of the practical exercises we had in that course for those 17 students is to work through the book of Philippians and prepare study questions to help us in our journey through this book of Philippians. 
I'm so proud of these people. They worked hard and diligently and really have produced some study questions that will help us. And so I want you, I want to honor them. I am so grateful to them. And if you are in the audience, when I call your name, please stand and remain standing so at the end we can give an applause to every one of you. Tracy and Janice Bates, I don't know if they're here, Dana Parker, Zach and Missy Yarbrough, Chris Lukes, Sherry and Ted Gantek, Marka Zichang, Doug Clark, Dan McCullum, Heather and Ryan Garner, Becca Jonas, Bonnie Moore, Kevin and Michelle Fraken. Let's give them a round of applause. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Make sure that you all have a copy of this booklet. At the front, you will find some pages in this booklet on how to use the book, and it gives a series of messages with the text that will be uh, dealt with in each of those sermons. We suggest that maybe you take a Saturday or at least an hour during the week. We call it a Saturday soak, if you will, and read through the text and try to answer the questions that are there. That you'll find this text, a copy of the text there, and circle words and underline words and draw lines between connections and things that, that so you can begin to analyze and really dig into it. And then bring the booklet with you to church, listen to the sermon, and there's a place where you can take notes on the sermon as you fill them out each week. So do this so that we can, together, we can discover the spiritual truths of each text that God gives us so that we can learn to apply them to our life as individuals and as a church. One of our goals in studying this book this summer will be to help sharpen our skills in studying and interpreting the Bible. And so as we practice this, we hope that we can get better at doing this. And we think this, this booklet will help you with that. But the primary reason that we are taking this book, the book of Philippians, and studying it together for 14 weeks is because it is a book that will help us to grow deeper in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Our prayer is that every one of us will grow in our contentment and in our satisfaction of knowing Christ intimately. If we follow Paul's example and his teaching to this Philippian church, we will find that unexpected joy and contentment of trusting him and obeying him even in the midst of turmoil. 
I hope that maybe that reminded you of the vision statement for our church. Our church vision statement is this, life point exists to glorify God and make gospel-driven disciples by engaging people in the unexpected joy of a life, of a life more and more dependent on Jesus. That is why we've adopted that phrase as a subtitle for this series, Finding the Unexpected Joy of Trusting Christ More and More. We hope that this summer is a time of spiritual growth for us, growing deeper with Him, learning to depend on Him more, learning to trust Him and enjoy Him deeply in our daily experience. In order to make this vision statement more, more relevant, more practical, let me ask you a question. It's a rather deep and personal question, and so only answer it to yourself. Down deep in your secret, hidden heart, what is the one thing you hope for more than anything else? To put it another way, finish this sentence. I would be happy and content if only... How would you complete that? I would be happy and content if only... What is that one thing that you, re you feel that, that would really satisfy me, that will really make my life worth living. I would really jump out of bed every morning if that one thing were true. There's a parable written by St. Augustine. Now, he lived about 400 A.D., but his parable helps us understand. Suppose, Augustine wrote, and I'm going to paraphrase what he wrote, bring it up to our current 21st century. Supposing, Augustine wrote, God himself came to you and invited you to draw up your ultimate wish list with things on it that we'd all agree are okay for Jesus' followers to enjoy. A good meal when you're hungry. Great family life. A satisfying sense of purpose and meaning. The excitement of romance and adventure. Robust health. A job that showcases your unique talents and earns you respect and lots of money. A season pass to the ski slopes or a season ticket to the Broncos games. I put that in. A good night's sleep every night on your dial-a-number mattress. And to top it off nicely, 
a good experience in church every Sunday morning where you gratefully worship a generous God who gave this all to you. Now, as you think about this list, God speaks again. And this time he says, I will give you everything on your list, and I will grant you a long life to enjoy it all. But there is a condition, only one. If you accept this offer, you will never see my face. I don't know your reaction when you hear those words, I will never see your face. But Augustine explained it this way. The chill that you feel in your heart when you think of never seeing God's face is a measure of your love for God. You see, the true meaning of life is knowing God. The meaning of life now, the purpose of life in this age, is not comfort in this world now, nor escape from suffering now, nor the avoidance of loss now, nor the maximizing of physical pleasures now, nor the amassing of riches now, nor the achievement of any fame now, nor the right to any health now, nor that we would be treated with respect and justice now. Those are not the meaning of life in this age for God's people. Life for us is about knowing God. That's why Paul says in this book of Philippians, for to me, to live is Christ and Christ alone. According to the word, God's word, as it's revealed in this book of Philippians, our goal in the Christian life is to enjoy him and all that he is for us in Christ, and to reflect some of that glory into this dark world in which we live. Our hope and our desire is to see him one day face to face, to see his glory, and to enjoy his presence forever without end. Paul's greeting to the Philippians in these two, first two verses underscore some of these themes. He said, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
This greeting by Paul uses the typical form of a greeting or a letter written in that first century in Rome. It begins with the name of the author who was writing the letter, and then it's followed by giving the name or names of those to whom it is written, followed by a word of greeting. But Paul inserts certain words into this typical Roman greeting to make it a very significant Christian salutation to the church. Notice the three words that are underlined or in bold on the screen. And this is one thing you ought to be doing as you study. Underline and score those key words. Servants, saints, grace to you. First, servants. What does it mean to be a servant of Jesus Christ? Why would Paul himself describe himself with this lowly term? After all, he is an apostle of Christ. He and Timothy are the founders of this church. Remember, however, how Paul came to Philippi in the first place. Paul was on his second missionary journey through Asia Minor, which is in modern Turkey, and he was accompanied by his colleague Silas. And they came to the little town of Lystra. Now, it shows his courage to go to that town, because you remember that it was at Lystra on his first missionary journey that Paul was stoned and left for dead beside the road. They dragged him out of the city thinking that he really was dead. But God miraculously raised him up and he left behind there a small church, among whom was a young man named Timothy. And by Paul's second journey, Timothy had established himself as a faithful disciple, and so Paul invited him to accompany them on their mission. So these three men, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, traveled toward the northwest. They tried to go into Bithynia, an area on the north of Asia Minor, on the southern shore of the Black Sea, but for unknown reasons, it never says, it says the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. So when they arrived in Troas, on the far northwest corner of Asia Minor, Paul had a vision. He saw a man of Macedonia speaking to him to come there and to help them. And so the gospel came to Philippi and other cities of that region. It was located about 10 miles inland from the port city of Neapolis in a region that was a gateway between Europe and Asia. It was a very strategic choice by Paul to start his first mission in Europe in this city of Philippi. And as the first church ever to be established on the European continent, this church had a special place in Paul's heart. He loved this church. So why describe himself to them as a slave of Jesus Christ. 
you need to know that word servant is actually in the Greek the word doulos, meaning slave. Servant is too easy a word. A slave does not own his or her life. He belongs totally to someone else. They have been purchased with a price and therefore live under the authority of another. A slave does not have the freedom to make choices about her life or her future. She must do what she is told when she is told to do it. Being a slave to another human being is a curse. But being a slave to sin and death is the ultimate curse. On the other hand, being a slave to Jesus Christ is a path to freedom and eternal life. Christ has paid the price to redeem us out of bondage from sin, to sin and death, and we now belong to him, and our, we have new life now that depends on him. And so out of gratitude for what he has done for us, we gladly serve him with all we are and all we have. Servanthood to God, Christ is a privilege, not a demeaning duty. And as a servant slave of Jesus Christ, Paul had one goal in mind, and that was intimate fellowship and union with God himself. He desired one thing above all, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering so that I might attain ultimate union with him in the resurrection. That's in Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 through 11. Filled with gratitude to God for his grace and his mercy, that freedom from the sin and death, Paul served God willingly as his slave. He served not because of the blessings or the benefits that he might receive from God, but so that he might know God personally and intimately. The second word is saints. Paul goes on to speak to the Philippian believers as saints or holy ones, those who are set apart for God, sacred in some way. Now, how in the world do these Philippian believers become saints? They had only been followers of Christ for about 10 to 12 years when Paul wrote this letter to them. Had they done something special in order to earn spiritual credit in those 10 years so that they could become saints? Did they do some miraculous feats or follow some rigorous rituals or persevere in some difficult discipline in order to merit the title of being a saint? Remember who these saints are as we have read about them in Acts chapter 16. It was in about A.D. 50 
when Paul and Timothy and Silas came to this city in response to that vision from Macedonia. In spite of the broad mixture of the population there, there were not many Jews in Philippi. We surmise this because to start a Jewish synagogue, you needed 10 men. But Philippi did not even have a synagogue. And so after a few days, Paul and his companions went to the riverside where a small group of Jewish women met for prayer. And as Paul spoke about Jesus, the Messiah, the Lord opened the heart of a woman named Lydia. And she responded in faith. She was a businesswoman from Asia Minor who had sold purple fabrics it was a special item that people treasured in those days. She was probably a widow. She and all her household believed and were baptized. She apparently had a large house because later it says the church seemed to meet there in her home. But as always happens when the gospel begins to take root, the enemy becomes active in opposition. And in this case, it was a demon-possessed slave girl who brought her owners much income through her ability to tell fortunes. And as with the demons in the gospel accounts, they often recognized Jesus or his disciples and shouted out their identity. And so this happened with this slave girl. This slave girl would cry out, these men are slaves of the most high God who are proclaiming to you the ways of salvation. <laughs> this went on for many days, it says. But finally, Paul, he grew so annoyed that he cast the demon out of the girl. Now, we don't know for sure whether she was converted, but I like to think that she did become a believer. But she was probably a young slave girl dealing with mental health issues the rest of her life. Whenever the preaching of the gospel deprives greedy sinners of their money, there will be trouble. And these unscrupulous slave owners who lost their source of income dragged Paul and Silas before the authorities, and they had them beaten and thrown into jail where their feet were fastened in the stocks. The charges against Paul and Silas included the fact that they were Jews, and as such they were painted as being anti-Roman, according to Acts 16. And it was about this time we remember that the Roman Emperor Claudius had expelled all the Jews from Rome. Anti-Semitism was strong in the Roman Empire at this time. And it was probably spilling over into this Roman colony, the city of Philippi. And so we begin to wonder, well, where is God in all of this? Remember, the Lord has seemingly led them by a vision to the city of Philippi. Had he forgotten them? Hardly. You see, the 
was this timely little earthquake <laughs> comes just at the right moment. God is in, still in charge. And the earthquake led to the dramatic conversion of the jailer and his whole household. Now, notice this disparate group of individuals. A businesswoman, Gentile probably, a slave girl dealing with mental health issues, and a Roman jailer who was involved in uh, police work and uh, security. And together, they were the saints at Philippi. Sainthood, according to Scripture, is not something you earn by some pious or miraculous life. Sainthood is a gift from God. When you, by faith, accept Christ and enter into his kingdom. Remember the great exchange that takes place when we put our trust in Christ. He forgives our sins because he has taken into his perfect body all the sins of all of us and paid the penalty for those sins. But he then takes his righteousness, the righteousness of his perfect life, his sinless life, and he clothes us in his righteousness and makes us children of God, joint heirs with Christ. We are born again, and the Holy Spirit comes to live in us. We are moved from the kingdom of darkness and adopted into the kingdom of light. That is what we call the new birth. And once we are born again, we are saints, holy ones, set apart as children of God. So I'm talking to you, the saints at LifePoint Church. But remember this, salvation is more than just one event when we go through the door and enter into the kingdom. Paul explains in chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, that we are not yet what we will become. We are not what we were, but we are not yet what we will become. You see, it's a process. The transformation is not yet complete but someday we will receive that glorious body in exchange for our corrupt, sinful body. But in the meantime, we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, he says in chapter 2. We are to exert every effort to make the reality of our conversion and our sainthood a reality in our daily life. But sainthood is a gift from God from start to finish. We can only do that because of the Spirit who works in us. Servants of Jesus Christ who gratefully serve him with only one ultimate goal in mind. Let, and that is to know him, to know him personally, to know him intimately, to have communion with him. Saints, saints in Christ Jesus, 
who are working out their salvation by the inner power of the Holy Spirit until the day of total transformation in his presence. And all of this is by the grace of God. Grace and peace to you. Grace is a gift of mercy and love. Grace, you don't earn this kind of favor and blessing. You don't deserve this kind of attention and compassion. Only by His grace, His marvelous, splendid, majestic, holy grace, are we ever able to enter into His salvation as saints and to serve Him as slaves, fully devoted to knowing Him deeply. As saints of Jesus Christ, as servants of Christ Jesus, we can only find deep, satisfying joy and contentment as we learn to trust Him more and more. We repeat the major theme of this book, finding unexpected, exquisite joy in trusting Christ more and more. Why? Because it is all through grace. It is nothing we can earn or buy or produce on our own effort. Joy in Christ comes only as we depend totally on Him. Let me share with you how this cuts deeply into my own heart. And I share this with fear and trembling. For many years, I've made it my life goal to know Him and to make Him known. That's my life motto, to know Christ and to make Him known. This vision has kept me focused on Christ and serving Him in all that I do. It was my rule of life, so to speak. But it is the second half of that goal which has become a stumbling block to me in my spiritual walk. To make Him known. I know we are all called to proclaim the gospel to those who are lost. But I took this goal to make him known, and I made it my goal and my project. And as I thought about how I could make him known, given my talents and gifting, it seemed that in these last days of years of my life, I could do that best by writing. I've always been led by God to communicate His gospel truth to a dying world. We spent many years in Africa as missionaries doing just that. And I have continued here at LifePoint, communicating the gospel by preaching and teaching. 
but I adopted this one new project to make him known by writing. I told myself I would be content if only I could write and communicate to this generation some of the insights I have gained in my study of the Word. Isn't that a noble and godly purpose? And so I prayed, and I asked God to help me in my project. I wanted Him to help me to be a better minister of the gospel. I needed His cooperation to do what I wanted to do. And when I cannot write, I feel regret and resentment and bitterness. It grows in my heart, and I am not content. And this draws me away from the one thing that can satisfy my heart deeply, and that is knowing Him intimately and personally by experience in everyday life. You see, the Lord lodged in my soul this basic desire that all of us as sinners crave. I want to do something that will make my life better. And most of us, when we answered the question, I will be happy if only we're talking about something that I can do that will make my life better now. But God in this book of Philippians is calling me to something better. God calls me to desire Him and to experience Him through whatever means He provides, whether suffering or riches, through hunger or poverty, to trust Him and to keep trusting Him more and more, whether I write or not. We have a choice to make. Are you more interested in communion with God that will satisfy your soul? Or are you more interested in cooperation from God with a convenient plan that He can follow that will improve your life? Do you want communion with Him? Or do you want to use Him and you ask for his cooperation in your project, even if it's a good one. What is the deepest desire of your heart today? Are you stuck in your walk with God, feeling it is not really going anywhere? Is it just empty words with no deep joy and satisfaction? Do you feel in your heart this nagging desire for something more, something deeper in your experience with God? I'm going to ask, would you be willing this morning 
to say in your heart, I'm open. I'm open to God for a deeper and a closer relationship with Him than I've ever known before. Are you willing to say to God, I don't know all that you may be asking for me, and I don't always know what that might be, but I am open today, and I'm ready to learn over these summer months how to follow you and how to love you and how to desire you as the greatest treasure of my life. Above all, I want to pursue knowing you as the deepest joy of my life. Would you be willing to pray, here am I, O God. Fill me with your power and your presence. If that's the desire of your heart, I'm going to ask you to do something unusual. Will you, when we stand to sing, come down here to the front, around the podium, the altar? And as we sing these first four verses of this closing hymn, leave your seats and join us together here as we commit ourselves to grow in this area of total devotion to Christ in our lives, in our work. That concludes LifePoint Church's podcast. For more information about our church, visit sharethelife.org.